today on It's Time. And he said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven. That's how God wants to relate to you. I hear the calling. It's time. It's time. It's time. Welcome to It's Time. The daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, he's going verse by verse through the book of Revelation. So turn there in your Bible as we join Pastor Mike. As we begin to read today, again, we're going to come in. We covered the first two churches uh, here in Revelation, and so we're going to go into the third one. The first one, of course, being the loveless church. They were doing things, great deeds, all these things, but he said, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Things that people once did out of love Now they're doing out of obligation or duty. I pray that none of you listening today ever take your relationship with God where you have to begin to think that I've got to do this rather than I want to do this. And if that happens to you, there's some great news for you. The Bible says we simply repent. We ask God for his Holy Spirit to strengthen us so we'll do the works that we did at first. And what were those works? Oh, he talks about their benevolence, their kindness, their goodness, all those things. But now out of obligation, now rather out of love. Well, he also addresses the second church that we find, and that's in... in. Uh, Verse 8, the church of Smyrna, and the name means bitter. It was a heavily persecuted church. And most likely in the church history timeline, this would be the second and third century. And it's very interesting to see how these different churches in order reflect the age of the church. Of course, um, the church at Ephesus, the first one that we uh, mentioned, again, it talks about Again, desirable. That's what the church Ephesus means. The second church, the bitter church, it was persecuted heavily. Now we remember that after Titus, the Roman general came in and leveled the city of Jerusalem, the persecution intensified and began to go after everyone that would not declare that Caesar was Lord. The Christians, of course, would not do that. They would not accept a man being God. And so because of that, they came under tremendous persecution. And Jesus never told them to repent. He, he encouraged them where they were at. But after the persecution of the church, we remember about 300 AD, Constantine, one of, um, one of uh, Rome's famous uh, dictators, so to speak, became a Christian. And he married a lot of the Roman pagan things to the church. And so when we get to this marrying of these things, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, we find um, the compromising church. 
Now, the compromising church will always lead to worse things. And we're going to talk about this marrying of the Roman pagan practices to the church. But what was the church like right before that happened? Well, it's compromising. Verse 12. Let's look at this together. To the church at Pergamos write. And that means to elevate by marriage. So you have an elevation by marriage, and then you have a full-flown problem when we get into the fourth church. And so he says, these things, says he, was a sharp two-edged sword. These things, he says, who has a sharp two-edged sword. Wow. It's interesting. This is where Jesus comes against the church. Now, a lot of times we don't think Jesus is going to do that. Here's a place where he did, and he identifies himself in this way. By the way, I think many of you, and I think many of the people you witness to and share with, they want to be part of God. They want to go to church, but they hate religiosity or churchianity rather than true Christianity. And we remember, as we've talked about this so many times, there's a big difference between churchianity and true Christianity. Christianity, in the purest form, is that restored relationship between Father in heaven and you. I love that. Nothing should ever get in the way, tamper with that, destroy that, bump it, or anything else. Yet religion, unfortunately, seems to do that. By saying, well, there's only a certain day of the week you can go talk to Father on. Or you can't eat certain kinds of foods. Or you have all these rules and regulations and all these things. Paul says, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. How are we to relate with our God in heaven? Now again, if you're trying to relate with God through your works, through what maybe your church, not maybe not this one, but maybe someplace else you may be from or have been from, says, no, you got to go through. you got to burn incense sticks. You have to recite so many prayers or do uh, recite so many mantras and, and do some hoop jumping. That's where the problem lies. And so when God comes, he said, they came to him and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, which art in heaven. That's how God wants to relate to you and me. I love that. Not with rules and regulations and shirts and ties. Now, if you got a shirt and tie on, do I see anybody here? No, I don't see anybody with a shirt and tie on. Hey, we're all safe today, okay? But the thing is, it was a time when you couldn't approach God unless you had the right clothes on or the right garb on or whatever. See, the thing is, we talk about that sometimes, that God just wants us to come to us as we are. And God will make the changes in our life. We have a God bigger than the things we've done wrong. Ain't that good news? And so we don't go to heaven because we're good. We go to heaven because he's good. And the only criteria is we are found in him. That's all there there is. They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what works must we do to inherit eternal life? I'm so glad Jesus didn't go, eeny, beeny, chilly, beeny, the spirits are about to speak. You know what he said? Believe that the Father has sent me. What? What must we do? The works that we must do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, believe that the Father has sent me. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was sent by the Father as our 
supreme sacrifice to do something for every one of us that we could never, ever do. Wow, you think about that for a minute. I can't be good in myself. You wonder when you talk to your children, can't you just be good? Yes. And less than, before they get the word out of their mouth, they're pulling their sister's hair or smacking each other in the head. And I'm amazed that this is the same way we are. We just do it a little nicer. I realize something. The total depravity of man is a scary thing. That which was lost in the garden wasn't just fellowship with God, but something dark entered into the heart of man. And we've been dark ever since. That's why Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Now, always remember, must is a hard nut to crack. But the fruit inside the nut, the kernel inside, is very sweet. Because that's one of the things that God will always do when we realize that we must be born again. Now that is not an option. That's where we have to say, okay, God, I surrender my life for years. Come into me. I'll come into you. And from now on, we're going to do what you want to do. So he says, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now he's addressing a church here. And he says, I know your works and where you dwell and where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed among you, but where Satan dwells. Very good commendation. By the way, friends, if you're going to try to correct some, if you're a boss here today, a parent, you know, I, I think you can learn a lot from God's word. And one of them is to acknowledge who you're talking to. When you've got something to say to them, acknowledge what they do well first. Otherwise, your words will seem highly critical. To this church that was messed up, even with a sharp two-edged sword, Jesus said, you have not denied my name. He recognized the good things they did. Moms, dads, recognize the good things in your children before a lot of times you have to set them down and say, honey, now we're not going to do this kind of behavior anymore. Acknowledge what they do well. Acknowledge what your employee does well. And if he's not doing everything you want him to do, then first of all, tell him what he has done right. Because then automatically you don't have this automatic defense that goes up, bah, 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 bah. I don't want to hear anything you have to say, but really I did something good, tell me more. Don't you like to be complimented? You know, I find criticism is a great motivator. Have you ever noticed that? It motivates me to get as far away from that person as I can get. See, but compliments will cause me to tune in to their wavelength and they recognized some worth that I have. That's a good thing. But I have this against you, he says. Verse 14. Because you have those there who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols to, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also hold to those... To the, the, those 
Thus you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent, or I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, very quickly, Nicolaity, what is that? Priesthood over the laity. God says he hates it. Do you know God doesn't want anything between you and him? No man, no priest, no co-redemptress, no nothing. You and Jesus, that's it. There's only one mediator between God and man. That's Christ Jesus. Always remember that. Because religion will always try to shuffle something in there between you and him. Whether it be a confessional, whether it be going to your pastor or your priest, going to, years ago, there was a doctrine that had come out called the shepherding doctrine. And you couldn't get married, buy a car, buy a house, anything without first talking to your shepherd. Ooh, that's everything the Bible warns about. One mediator between God and man. One counselor between God and man. That's Christ Jesus. Always remember that. Anything that tries to get in between that, be very much aware of. He says, I have this against you because you, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. What was Balaam doing? Balaam was a, a, a guy that could hear God in the Old Testament. Children of Israel passing through the land looked over, saw all these tents of Israel. Some, some estimate is m- maybe more than a million people came out of Egypt. And he got scared. And so he sent, and, and we remember that Balaam was this guy who could hear God. Balak, this king, sent for him saying, I want you to come and curse the children of Israel. And so we remember the story about him continually buffeting with God. Finally, he going over a mountain pass on his way to go. The donkey, he starts beating his donkey because the donkey saw an angel with a drawn sword. And by the way, probably Balaam could have saw it too if he wasn't blinded by his greed. And so as he is pinned, he starts beating his donkey, and his donkey says, what are you beating me for? Haven't I always been a good donkey? And he starts talking back to the donkey. Now, at this point in life, I would have said, something's really wrong here. But he kept going on. He gets to the place, Balak gets him and says, now come over here, Balaam, and curse the children of Israel. And he looks over the tents of Israel. Oh, how beautiful are the tents of Israel. I didn't bring you up here to bless them. I brought you up here to curse them. Here, let's get another vantage point. Come over here. Let's stand over here. Now now, now say something evil against them. Went on and on. And every time Balaam gave a beautiful picture of Israel, Balak is just furious. I brought you over. I was going to make you a rich man for cursing him. And instead of cursing him, you bless him. He goes, look, Balaam said, these are God's people. Nothing I'm going to say is going to do anything. He says, the only thing you can do is get your young ladies down there, corrupt the men of Israel, and God will destroy them. Well, that's exactly what Balak did. And we remember that Israel suffered a tremendous loss because of that. But we also remember Balaam also lost as well. Now here's the point. They were using the gospel, they were using the truth of God's word against God's people. 
And so Jesus is very angry about that because the thing is, is that rather than causing people to repent, it was causing people to go farther into sin. So he says, repent, or I'll come quickly and fight against you with the sword of my mouth. What is the sword of God's word? It's his word. His sword is his word. That's, that's how God uh, will d- divide, able to divide sin from the, uh, from the Bible says, from the, the bone, from the muscle, from sin to living, r- living right. He who hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Do you know God's going to give you all a new name someday? Some of you didn't like your name. Have you ever met people that changed their name? I have. It's really weird because, you know, you've known him for like 20 years as, as John. And then you, you hey, John, my, I've changed my name. My name is now Excalibur. Okay, John, whatever. No. It's Excalibur. It's weird. I have met probably four or five people who have changed their name, and if you call them by their old name, they get angry with you. Well, believe it or not, God's going to give us all a brand new name, the Bible says. He's going to give us a white stone. Now, what is this white stone? We don't exactly know, but we know we're going to get one. Now, some people believe the Urim and Thurim, you, you read about it. It's not a looking glass like you might hear in another well-known religion uh, but it's actually, they, it was a bag that had two stones in it, a black stone and a white stone. And, and they would go to the priest uh, and they would say, Lord, shall we go up against the enemy or not? And the priest would pray and reach his hand into the bag and pull out a stone. And if it was a black stone, it would be no. If it was a white stone, it would be yes. It was also a stone that would give you an invitation to a special event. It was a positive statement if you received a white stone. God says, I'm going to give you that. And so here we find he's going to give us a white stone with a new name written on it. Do you know God's got a new name for you in heaven? Oh, wow, I think that's neat. Maybe, maybe not what you always thought. But something wonderful and something beautiful. That's what God's going to do for you. And always provide for us. Give us hidden manna to eat. Now, The compromised church, the one that was allowing people like Balaam to come and attempt to curse the children of Israel at Balak's beckoning, leads, and by the way, always remember this, sin is progressive. It never stays static. But neither does your relationship with God. In other words, as the Bible says, you go from glory to glory. But the thing is, remember, if you're in sin, people say, well, marijuana is a gateway drug. Where do they get that from? Really, if you study the Bible, you'll find that. Nothing ever stays the same. The thrill is gone. We're going to move on to the next thrill. Well, the next church, the church of Thyatira, which means literally continual incense. Isn't that weird? I don't know very many churches that burn continual incense, but one, when it has to do with God. And many people believe this was the beginning of the Catholic Church. The marrying of 
Roman customs with true Christianity. It was an adulterous kind of thing that happened. We, we remember Saturnalia, 21st of December. The sun rays were waning a bit, and so they would throw a, 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 a party for the, the pagan god to come once again, to the sun god, to come and shine its rays back on them again. Constantine changed it to Christmas. Now, or am, am I saying we shouldn't recognize Christmas? No, because it is a day which the world recognized Jesus was born. That, I will say, is good. But we don't know whether Jesus was born in the spring of the year or the fall of the year. The Bible doesn't tell us when he was born. We also find the mixing of Lent and the asterisk and and the worship of spring. We find all these things were convoluted. We find the pagan idolatry of the pagan deities in Rome where they have all these different statues to Zeus. In fact, Paul talks about it at Mars Hill. If you study your Bible, we remember he went to uh, this place called Mars Hill and, and it was kind of a, I, I always, I, I, I picture things in my head in a very weird way in some place you never want to go. But anyway, but I picture it kind of like a, a place where there was a lot of statues and a lot of gods on this Mars Hill, this Aeropagate. They were up on top of there, and there was probably a coffee shop there that served lattes. And the Bible says they did nothing all day but discuss things of the gods. You know, well, what do you think? He's like, well, I don't know. What do you think? He's like, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I don't know. And this is what they did. Paul goes there. They're all sitting around philosophizing, psychedelicizing, and all that kind of stuff. And he says, you got this one here to the unknown God. This is the one I want to tell you about. And he begins to share with them who the true and living God was. But they were pantheistic. They worshiped a lot of gods. They had a lot of statues. Well, interestingly enough, this church here in Thyatira, the Papial Church, beginning about 300 A.D., 350, and then on, interesting, we find these problems. These things says the Son of God. Now, by the way, when it says something, I don't take it for granted. These things says the Son of God. Why does it say that? I believe it's because it gives absolute authority. It isn't Mary co-redemptress. It isn't uh, what the Pope might say or a bishop or a pastor or anybody else in any religious institution. It says the Son of God. Absolute authority. I'm so important. Who has the eyes like flames of fire and his feet like refined brass? I know your works. Love, service, faith, your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Another shining example of their demonstrating a relationship with God. This is good, friends. By the way, I I think many, uh, many in the Catholic Church, I think some of the Protestants can learn a few things from them concerning benevolence. We find a lot of this. You find many different... um, places to, you can donate things and they'll redistribute it. I I think sometimes the works of the Catholic Church far excel the Protestant Church. 
He says, I know your works. By the way, God knows everything. He takes note of any and everything we do. The Bible says, even a cup of cold water in his name bears a reward. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.